Now, I am excited about our new sermon series that begins this morning, and I'm excited for a few reasons. Uh, and one of them is because we're back to Jesus. Now, I hope that you would respond by saying, every sermon at City Bible Church is about Jesus. And I would say yes and amen. But what I mean is, is that we're back to the words and teaching of Christ himself during his earthly ministry. When City Bible Church first started, I preached through the Gospel of John. That was the first book that we went through as a church, and we went through it for the first two years. Uh, but since that time, we haven't been back to the Gospels. And so we're back for a bit with this new series. As we look to Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, we can broadly divide it into different ways. For example, the Gospel of John looks to the public and the private ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus can also be divided as one of teaching and one of performing miracles. And then there's different kinds of miracles, right? Healing miracles, supernatural miracles, like walking on water, stopping storms, multiplying food. There's also the casting out of demons. Also, there are different kinds of teaching. Right? As we look into the relationship that Jesus has with the disciples, we saw that Jesus taught through discipleship. He preached publicly to the crowds. He taught in the synagogues. Jesus also told stories. He taught through telling stories. And one of the ways he told stories was through parables. And as you see on the screen, as, as you know from the sermon card that you've been given for the next eight weeks, we will be going through Jesus's parables. And so let me begin by giving an introduction to parables generally before we jump into our first parable this morning. And, and I'll also mention that I chose this first parable for our series because as we'll read in just a minute, Jesus himself took a moment in his uh, telling of this story, in the middle of it, to actually speak about parables generally. So it's a fitting start for us. So what is a parable? A parable is a story, but it's not just any regular story. There are unique things about parables. And so as we start, let me point out four marks of parables. These aren't exhaustive. There's more details and more things that we can say about parables. But just to start off with a good and basic understanding. Number one, parables provoke the imagination. Parables provoke the Im imagination. Now, a parable, as we'll read today and as we'll see in the series, isn't about making things clear necessarily, even though it can bring clarity to some things. Parables are about making you think. The details are often strange and vivid, and so what they do is that they draw the hearer into active listening, into active thought. You are meant to interact with the parable and determine what's happening. Who are the characters? What, what details are important? Which details aren't important? So parables provoke the imagination. Second, parables have a primary purpose. Parables have a primary purpose. And so as we look to the parables, we need to know it's a specific genre of teaching. It's a style of storytelling. And so we need to remember that they're not meant to address and teach all truth. What that means is that you can't assign deep meaning into all the details of the story. It's because not every detail is as important as other details, and there are some details that have no importance. 
as we read the parables, our aim is to figure out what's the main point. And as we start to grasp that main point, we're to leave space for the parts that don't support that main thrust of the parable. Uh, for example, if you were with us last week, uh, we uh, know that our guest preacher preached a parable from the Gospel of Matthew, Pastor Dave Furman from Redeemer Church of Dubai. We saw that the point of the parable was to show how the Jews rejected Jesus. Right? It was to show how Jesus was sent to any and all who would want to come to him. Remember, he sent the servants outside the city, to all who were outside the walls of the city. And then also we saw the importance of approaching the king in the right garments, wearing the right robes and clothing. And so when we look to the man who didn't have the right clothing, the point, as we understand the main thrust, isn't to get caught up in how did he get into the wedding? This is the first documented wedding crasher. Right? How did he get in there? Where were the bodyguards? Do you think the king would have royalty guards? And right? So we're not supposed to get caught up in that because we can take the illustration too far and say, well, if he made it in and the wedding feast is a symbol of heaven, that means that he's a believer. But if he's getting kicked out, then he must have lost his salvation. And then we kind of go on with that thought. But that's not what the main purpose of the parable is, as, as we considered last week. Right? So there's a main thrust of every parable, and it's like the saying goes, you can miss the forest because of the trees. So we have to keep that in mind when it comes to the parables. Number three, parable imagery isn't permanent. Parable imagery isn't permanent. Now, what I mean by that is that context is important when it comes to interpreting imagery. Context, of course, is important in every passage of Scripture, but for our purposes, one image in one parable can mean something else in a different story or a different parable. For example, at home group this week, we looked at this passage uh, and discussed parables briefly, and I asked uh, those who are at the home group, what comes to mind when they think of leaven in the Bible? Yeast, leaven, what comes to mind? If it's good or if it's bad, and, and as we noted, there's an example of both. Right? Some of you might think of the story uh, of leaven being bad. As Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. But next week, as Pastor Anwar preaches for us on the mustard seed and leaven, we see that Jesus is using leaven as an image of the kingdom of God, which is good. And so we don't have to force images to mean something because they've meant something previously in another parable. Now the fourth mark we're going to save later, but I'll tell it to you now. Parables reveal truth, and they conceal truth. Parables reveal truth, and they conceal truth. And the reason I'll save it is because Christ himself mentions it in the middle of our passage reading, verses 9 and 10. Uh, last couple of things to say about parables is that they are often grouped into different categories. Three specific categories. The parables of the kingdom which are found before the miracle where Christ fed the 5,000. So that's the parables of the kingdom. The parables of grace, which take place between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus' triumphal entry. And the parables of judgment, which go from the triumphal entry to the passion of Christ. So parables of the kingdom, parables of grace, and parables of judgment. Out of the four Gospels we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the only one that doesn't include parables. And for our series, for our purposes, we can spend a year or two years in the parables of Christ. Uh, we're spending eight weeks looking through the parables as recorded through 
uh, sorry, in the Gospel of Luke. Brief overview, so much more that can be said. But with that, let's pray as we prepare to go to God's Word. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us by giving us your word, for letting us know who you are, for sending your Son that we can see you ministering, your love, your grace, your mercy, your wrath, your justice, your holiness. And Father, this morning we pray, as we'll very specifically see in this passage, that you would give us ears to hear your words. Father, there are some who are here this morning that are just had a horrible week. And that you've drawn them here and they're here this morning. So would you minister to them in the way that only you can? For there are others here this morning that don't know Christ, that don't know your son. Would you open eyes that they would see Jesus as the son of God, as the savior of the world? We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 15. I'm going to read the whole text and then we'll, we'll, we'll go through it afterwards. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, you have it printed in your bulletin, or of course you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 4. As a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still, other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? So he said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest, it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rocks are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who have heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. The passage can be broken up in different ways, but... I think most clearly we see the parable, right? Verses 4 through 8. The reason for parables is kind of a, a general, uh, general teaching, verses 9 and 10. And then an explanation of this parable, verses 11 through 15. So let's start off with that middle section. Why parables? 
Parables aren't just spiritual stories. Right? They're, they're not just illustrations to help us understand spiritual truths. Parables, as I briefly mentioned before, reveal truth and conceal truth. Okay? Parables reveal truth and they conceal truth. And here's an important consideration, sorry, important truth as we consider this point. It's like a warning label that you read on different products. If you consume this product, this will affect your health in this way. So here's our warning label. Christians are called to submit to God's word, and that's not always easy. Now, some passages are great. For example, John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. We all shout, yay. We believe that. We want that. Others, not so easy. This is one of them, verses 9 and 10. Uh, And so when something is a bit harder for us to believe or harder for us to accept, we face a temptation to change God's word and to mold it and craft it into ways that are easier for us to swallow. Beware of that temptation. Look with me again to verse 10. Jesus says, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is parables. Why? goes on to quote Isaiah here. So that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, there aren't any complicated words in this verse. It's pretty clear. It's it's pretty straightforward. But for most... The first reaction when we read a passage like this is to think, I must have read that wrong. This can't be saying what it's saying, right? We ask, is Jesus actually saying that he speaks in parables to make sure that some people won't hear or see the truth of the kingdom? Yes. We read it a few times so you know that I'm not just making something up. We see it there very clearly. And so let's let's think about this together. For a bit. Most Bibles will, will have a, a little note to show that Jesus, as I just mentioned, is quoting from the Old Testament. And so you can turn to the Old Testament, not now, but I'm saying if, if you have that note, and you see that he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Rochelle read that passage for us just before I came up. It's helpful for us to note, uh, as we think of context, that both in the first five chapters of, chapters of Isaiah before this, uh, this was said, Uh, to Isaiah, and and the examples in the gospel up before, you know, Luke chapters 1 through 7, before this parable, we see time and time again that the people are rejecting God. In in the gospels before this point, time and time again, we see people rejecting Jesus' claims. And so it's to the people who said, we will not have you as our king, that Jesus, in, in effect, is saying, well then, I won't let you understand my teachings. As we look to our passage, we can say on the one hand, Jesus are, uh, excuse me, Jesus' disciples are the ones that he gave the secrets of the kingdom to, right? So he has a chosen group, right? To you it's been given to know. And yet on the other hand, they're the ones who asked him to explain the parables, right? They came up to him and asked, what, what, what does this mean? And so as we see throughout Scripture, 
Old Testament and New Testament, God's sovereignty and the responsibility of, of humanity go side by side. There is a relation. They don't contradict one another. Now, I think if we're honest, I think we often have a wrong and unfair view of God. In our flesh, we have this image of God that he's standing at the door just ready just ready to turn away people for a million different reasons. But the truth is he's standing eagerly, waiting to welcome in. It's actually a helpful way for us to think about parables. Parables serve as a doorway. Those who hear a parable, both then and now, what I mean by that is that you, we've all just heard the reading of God's word, this same parable, and so we are also presented with a doorway that we can either walk through or walk away. For the spiritually sensitive, for, for those who have ears to hear, they walk through and they seek the deeper truths that the parables point to. But we see and we'll, we will see that par- parables bless the spiritually sensitive and they confound the dull. They are regular stories to some, and as one pastor said, I I love it, they are bombs of glory to others. Think with me on the sun, not S-O-N, but the sun, the shining ball of fire. It's unchanging in its nature, right? And and, and the heat that it sends does what? It, It both melts ice and it hardens clay. The effects are different based on the recipient, not the sun. The sun doesn't say, I'm going to behave this way towards these people. Uh, John Calvin also uses imagery of the sun to explain the use of parables, and I thought it was helpful. Uh, He describes a person with weak eyes. And so you might have weak eyes. Uh, Maybe you can think of a time that you had an eye exam when they put the little drops in your eye, then all of a sudden you can't uh, dilate. That's the word I was trying to think of. Your eyes are dilated, and you have to wear those really fancy plastic dark sunglasses. Why? Because your eyes are weak. They're sensitive. And so when a person with weak or sensitive eyes steps into the sun, their eyes become dimmer than before. They squint and they have a hard time seeing. There's a sense of pain. Now, where does the fault lie? It's not with the sun, right? But it's with the weak eyes. In the same way, God's word through parables blinds the eyes of the one who will reject him and his gospel message. And yet that same parable provides light and clarity to those who are being drawn to him. And so, because parables had a dual effect on people, Jesus had the opportunity and space to make some really bold claims. Jesus was able to, through parables, to say some bold truths to those who were open to hearing from God, And yet, his message was concealed from those who would reject him. And I love the phrase that Jesus said, if you've been coming for any time here to the church, you'll you'll hear it often in my prayer. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. So we we pray for that. God, give us ears to hear your voice. But if we think about it, it's a bit of a strange phrase, right? We all have ears. Most people's ears work, except for children under the age of 60. We all have trouble hearing sometimes or listening. So what is it that Jesus is saying? The the, the call isn't just to hear him, but to pay attention to what he's saying. 
When Jesus say, says that, it's as if he's saying, take special note to what I'm revealing. Now, for some people, and it's, it's likely the case in this room, you'll respond the way that people did at that time. Oh, there's Jesus again telling another farming story. While others say, Jesus is telling me something deep. There's something important here. R.C. Sproul said it this way. For those who have ears to hear, the parable provides a deeper understanding of Jesus' teachings. But for those who don't have ears to hear, the parable is actually an instrument of concealment. So, with that introduction and considering kind of the middle section where Christ gives a reason for the parables, let's look to the parable itself now. There are three main roles or three main characters, if you will, in this parable. They're not all human, but we see them playing different parts. The sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower, the seed, and the soil. Those are the three main components of this parable. Now, even though the sower and the seed are, are certainly important, as we read, the focus is on the soils, and so that's where we are going to spend most of our time. Now, when we think of the immediate context in the audience, as Jesus is saying this parable and he's saying, uh, giving a, an image of a sower, he's speaking of himself as a sower and his disciples. That's the immediate context. But it also extends to all who cast the seed, which Jesus gave that very directly. The seed is the word of God, right? So all who share the good news of the kingdom. So if you're a believer, this, this is you because we, we should all not we should, we are all under the Great Commission to make Christ known. We can all put ourselves in the place of the sower. Now notice something with me about the seed. The seed is spread and sown everywhere. The, the seed is, is thrown to all different kinds of soil, but as we see, only the good soil bears fruit. I liked in one of the commentaries that I looked to, it called this not the parable of the sower, or I think more rightly the parable of the four soils, but they called it the parable of the lazy farmer. I, I, it was said jokingly, but, but it, it's meant to highlight, first of all, there's a lot of seed that just fell, I, I'm blocked here, but fell on the side, right? He's picking it up, and it just it falls on the path. But they did that, to highlight the power of the word of God to work apart from human effort. We're not told in this story anything other than just this farmer, the sower threw the seed. There's nothing about tilling the ground or plowing or taking up the rocks or the, the thorns or any of those things. There's no work, there's no watering. Meant to show the power of God's word to work apart from human effort. The farmer just threw the seed and eventually the crop came and, and I'm reminded of the Protestant reformer Martin Luther and how he testifies to the power of God's word. This is good. Listen to this quote. He wrote, We should preach the word, but the result must be left solely to God's good pleasure. In speaking about the work that he did, he says, I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, that's in the quote, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing 
the word did everything. Now, in reading Jesus' explanation of the parable, we see that the soil is connected to hearts, right? We're, we're given glimpses of what the imagery means, and so we're able to receive and understand a deeper meaning, right? Some heard, and the devil took away the words from their hearts. We're not talking about the part of our body that pumps blood, but speaking about from their soul, who they truly are. That's what the Bible means when it refers to a person's heart. Or at the very end, some heard with honest and good hearts. And so the key to this parable, and really in a way to all, is hearing those who have ears. Right? Those who don't have listening ears, as we can say, just hear a strange story and walk away. But those with listening ears hear a strange story as an invitation. It's an invitation to listen. And friends, it is import, uh, eternally important that we listen to God's word. So what's happening with these soils and what does it mean for us? In some ways, it's very simple and direct, and yet there's a few things for us to consider. Four soils, four kinds of hearts, right? The seed that fell on the path, Christ tells us, we see, represents a hard heart. The seed that fell on the path represents a hard heart. These are the people who have no reception of God's word. They have zero desire for God or his ways or his word. Hard, no soil, that's the path. The seed that fell on the rock represents a shallow heart. Right? Isn't that what we saw in the description? Uh, these are the people who respond with impulse. There's an immediate and temporary impact, maybe even high emotion. They're struck by the truth, and yet there's no root, we're told. And so at the moment that there is trouble or testing, they wither away. They fall away. Now, this sadly happens often when someone hears a partial gospel, right? A watered-down gospel, not the fullness of the beautiful good news of Jesus. It might be something like this. Do you want to escape hell? Do you want to go to heaven? Believe in Jesus. That's the end. Now, there's incredible truth in these words, but is it complete? No, of course not. And who would say no to such a gospel? Do you want chocolate and candy without any cavities? Yes. Great. Right? I mean, it's, 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 it's a partial truth. But when anything other than ease comes to their way, they're gone. They, they fall. But when someone hears the gospel and the way it's presented by Christ and his disciples, and the way that we ought to present it as we see in God's word. And they're told that there is a cost to follow Jesus. And that cost could even be their lives. And yet, they're shown that there is no greater peace and joy than knowing that our sins are forgiven. And that we are in a right standing before God because Jesus died the death that we deserve. When trials comes upon that person, they are rooted in the gospel, that they won't fall away. The third soil, as we see, is the thorns. And this represents, we can say, the crowded heart, right? There was some springing up of fruit, but then they got crowded out by the thorns and other plants. These are the people 
who let the worries and pleasures of the world choke away the truth of the gospel. And lastly, the good soil represents the fruitful heart. So if you're taking notes, we have four hearts. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, and the fourth one, the fruitful heart. This is the person who receives the word of God with gladness, who perseveres and who bears fruit. Now in our parable, this is the true believer, and this is true salvation. Now, if we're reading this with ears to hear, we can hear that this is more than just a description of how the gospel is to be shared and more than just a description of how the different people will respond to God's word. There is a call to expect, to examine, and to endure. And so this morning we'll close our time by thinking on these three things. There is a call to expect, to examine, and to endure. We see Jesus calling his disciples to cast the message of God's good salvation to everyone. And in doing so, they can expect two things. They can expect that many will reject God's word. But they can also expect that there will be those who accept it, who receive it with joy and with gladness. I mean, as, as we're considering the imagery here, th these are hostile conditions. Thorns and stones and birds and testing and worries. But the gospel, we're told, is the power of God unto salvation. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. This is my first time preaching here. I decided to just throw a quote from every one of my great influences. And I think this might be the last one. Just as a seed has life in it, so the word of God is alive and can impart life to those who are spiritually dead. Just as a seed has great power in it, so that it can sprout and grow to the point that it eventually cracks the foundation of the house, so the word of God can germinate in the human heart and do a mighty work of transformation. Just as a seed can produce a tree that bears much fruit, which gives nourishment, sustains life, and in turn produces more seeds to produce more trees and more fruits, so the word of God can bear fruit in human lives. Friends, hear this word. There is no heart that is good and honest and bears fruit that wasn't first a hard heart. Let me say that again. There is no heart, this fourth soil, that is good and honest and bears fruit that wasn't first a hardened heart, that first soil. And so, friends, let's pray that God would soften hearts in order to hear and receive the good news of Jesus. And let's believe that he is able to do that with his word. And so let us keep sharing the gospel with our loved ones. Let us expect that God's word will bear the fruit of salvation. And so with that great expectation, let us continue sowing his word to everyone. As we see, the, the parable is primarily describing the three hearts that are unregenerate and fruitless. Right? We have four kinds of hearts. The first three 
are unregenerate. There's no reception. They bear no fruit. And there's one that has true life, right? So this is certainly descriptive. But, but it's more than just a description. It's also a call to examine our own lives, right? It's an invitation to enter through the door. And to those who have ears to hear, to those who are spiritually sensitive, even right now, without me asking rhetorical questions on your behalf, you're asking yourself some questions, aren't you? I read this parable the other night uh, to Noah and Shia, and then Noah asked, am I the good soil? What a great question. And we had a great conversation about that. But, but isn't that the natural question that comes up when we read something like this? Am I the good soil? Am I believing? Are there evidences in my life that the Holy Spirit is alive and bearing fruit? It's a call to examine, friends. I also think a helpful way to examine our hearts is to ask if there are parts of our life that are hard to God's word. And so let me ask you, what are the ways that you're tempted by the world to doubt God's word? Which area in your life are you sensing God's word being choked out by the cares and worries that surround us? And, and they do surround us, don't they? Let me ask a pretty direct question. If you're here this morning and you are unwilling to receive God's word, then why are you here? I say that you are willing. I answer on your behalf that, that you want to believe. That's why you're here. Please know that it's okay to struggle with these truths and it's okay to not understand everything. But know that God is real. Know that he loves you and he's proved his love for you. And he's made a way through his son, Jesus. If there is any sense of desire in you this morning, or at any time that God's word is opened up, know that God never leads a person to long for mercy without intending to give it. I know that's a fear for some of you. Right? You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid to be let down because you can't handle putting hope in something or in someone that will fail again. Dear friend, God will not turn anyone away who comes to him through his son. He cannot fail you. Believe and you will be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've rejected God because you have rejected God or have not believed his promises because you have not believed his promises. It doesn't matter what's happened before. If you are feeling led to believe in a way that you haven't, friend, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not you. I gently say that. You, you wouldn't desire such a thing on your own. And so be encouraged that God is making himself known to you and respond in belief and find rest for your soul. Lastly, endure. Expect Examine and endure. I don't know what your church background is, but I know mine would often say, 
So let's go out there and just do better. Do more. Don't you love Jesus? And so this isn't a call to do better or to do more. It's a reminder that God's word is powerful and it will bear fruit in your life. Dear brother and sister, find rest in this promise and in this truth. And be patient in your waiting. That's the idea of persevering. Right? Often we think, I've been reading my Bible for an entire week. I'm still struggling with sin. I'm not as mature as as holy as I expect to be after five days. Because, of course, I take a break on the weekends or whatever it is. Right? We, we would be helped to remember the farmer. He plants a seed, he waters, then waits. Then he continues this process, and he trusts this process. And after many weeks and after many months, there might be the first sign of life coming up from the soil. Brothers and sisters, we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to persevere and to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit is the one who proves that we are true saints who have been given a saving faith. Rest in Christ and you will endure. Let us be hearers and receivers of God's word in all of our lives for all of our life. Let the Lord prove his faithfulness to you and let the power of his word bear fruit in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we once again thank you for your word, which alone has the power to save. And so we pray, Father, do the work that only you can do. We pray that you would be glorified in the lives of those who repent and confess and put their faith in you. And we trust you to do the work that only you can do. Thank you for proving your love to us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for taking your own judgment upon your shoulders so that we would have life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.